Welcome to the Black Queens on Stage podcast, presented by Black Literature and Art Queens Network, where we bring our queens to the stage. Welcome to the podcast where we honor and acknowledge Black women performers and discuss racism within Michigan performing venues. I'm Ashley M. Lyle, and today we have a very special guest in the Black Queens on Stage virtual studio today. (laughs) She is the founder and creator of the most well-known art activism organization in the country, if not the world. Please welcome founder and executive director of Art Equity, Carmen Morgan. Hi, Carmen. How are you today? Oh my gosh. Ashley, what a lovely introduction. I'm doing well today, Black Queen. (laughs) Ashley, thank you for this invitation. I've been so looking forward to this. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for accepting. I really appreciate it. I've, uh, I've been attending several of the art equity uh, workshops that they, you guys have been putting on. And I, I swear, it, me and my friend Kelly, um, Kelly was the one that really <laughs> turned me on to it. She was like, you've got to tune in to these art equity workshops. So I started listening in on the um, the BIPOC in, predominant, in the PWI workshop. Uh, yeah, I think it was yeah. like a five-week series. And that was... Yes amazing. Yeah. That was <laughs> those folks. You I'm, all were on fire. Yes. <laughs> and you know what's what's really bananas to me is that I never ever heard of the uh the article 15 characteristics of white supremacy. And I yeah, thought that was amazing. Yeah. And how where I clearly saw in myself where I just intuitively just um you know just by habit do this to myself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's really, yeah. it, the whole you know, class is just amazing. Ashley, can I just, let me just riff off that for just a minute here. Mm-hmm. This uh, That article written by Tima Akun and um, Kenneth Jones, it's so powerful. You know, it's been around for a while, but it's just kind of now getting a sort of a re-circulation. Um, but it's even more deep than that. It's even deeper than just those characteristics that we've come to internalize and that we've allowed to represent what leadership looks like. Um, It's even deeper than that. If you all, um, a lot of us were listening to um, the incredible uh, Pulitzer Prize winning um, documentary, um, 1619, and Mm -hmm. that powerful research that documents so many of the modern day business structures not just our organizational cultures, but some of the modern day business structures come directly from the plantation economy. That is pretty deep. It's not just the cultures that we're in right now in our organizations that, um, that deploy an overseer's mentality that is coming from the plantation. It's so many other things in our current modern society that link back to the plantation. It's it's pretty deep. Yeah. So yeah. the the documentary that you're referring to is it? Um, are you referring to? I think it was. Uh, oh gosh, the podcast podcast yes, documentary. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Heard, the doc, the uh, mm-hmm. I heard every bit of that. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> My mind yeah. was entirely blown. 
the fact, uh, I, I believe it was episode four, and I I actually referenced this in uh, the workshop that I created with my friend Dan, um, yeah. called Toward an Anti-Racist Michigan Theater. And yes. I referenced that podcast and specifically episode four, I believe it was, where it talks yeah. about American theater and how it got its start and how they wanted to differentiate themselves from French theater, uh, theater yeah. and arts, from uh, Japanese theater and arts. And it was just absolutely mind blowing for me to know Riveting. that it be got its start with minstrel shows and blackface. Yes. The, the root of so much of this is so um, obviously racist. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones um, and the 1619 Project, uh, just a shout out to that work and her well-deserved Pulitzer Prize. So yeah, and I'm just shouting her out because, you know, this is a show about Black queens and <laughs> she would be one. Absolutely. <laughs> would be I would one. love to get her on the show if that's possible, you know? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And when you do, can I come back? We can, we can sit, you and I can do a co, a co-interview. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Listen, I, I welcome all of my guests to come back on the show whenever they want to. Totally. I would welcome you with open arms, Carmen. Absolutely. Okay. No, listen, I'm going to remember that because <laughs> this is pure joy for me, for us to really center um, the wisdom of black women. Mm -hmm. um, and you do it so beautifully. I have to say. Thank I'm, you. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm following you now. Oh, wonderful. Oh my gosh. You have no idea how exciting yes. that makes me. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to amplify your voice and the work that you're doing here. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Look, in, in a minute, I'm going to start interviewing you. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I totally welcome my guests asking me questions. I totally welcome that. Um, okay. But yeah, so, I mean, we're already in this interview. So if you don't mind me asking, tell me a little bit more about your civil rights profession. Like I, I, you have such an extensive list of working on um, like the Yale, the Yale board of uh, drama, um, just multiple different boards of civil rights activism. Sure. Just tell me a little bit more about that so that we can clue in on who you are, Queen. Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, I would love to. You know, I used to say that, you know, I'm new to the arts. I'm new to the arts. Um, but, you know, it's been since uh, 2008 now. So I've been working in the arts um, for quite some time. And I actually am claiming the arts community as my community. Uh, but but the truth is, I come out of a, um, you know, I've always worked nonprofit. And it's it was always uh, civil rights, social justice work. So uh, you know, I started working with a civil rights organization, providing tools and resources and training um, for national initiatives. Um, and then I moved to another civil rights organization, training community activists. Uh, and, you know, let me let me also say that this work, the work that I've been doing has always centered around um, how to build effective movements, right? And how do we as community activists uh, coalesce around a shared common understanding. So much of the work has been siloed or, you know, look, if you're doing racial justice work, you're not doing economic justice work. So that's really what my, my entry point was. And so I was doing some work. I was launching actually a community initiative in Flint, Michigan, 
um, and then uh, also doing a community initiative in Philadelphia. And some artists were part of that work, uh, particularly the work in Flint, Michigan. There was an artist that was a part of that work. And that person left and went to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Mm. And at the yeah, so that person left and went to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And at the time, they had a relatively new artistic director, Bill Rausch at the time, and they were getting ready to really, you know, um, level up their work that they had been doing at OSF around, you know, more diversity on the stage and, you know, tackling issues of representation. But when Bill Rausch got there, uh, he really wanted to shift and change the culture. So that's when they started looking for um, somebody to do that. And I remember getting an email uh, from somebody saying, hey, look, you know, we've heard about your work. Do you work in the arts? You know, do you work with uh, theaters? And I remember thinking, um, no, not really. You know, like, because I'll be honest, and I mean, no disrespect. I just, at the time, felt that, you know, look, we're on the front lines. We are out here doing real hardcore work. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Dealing with economic justice issues. We're organizing tenant rights. You know, we're doing... And I didn't see the arts necessarily in that way yet. So I remember um, getting that call and uh, they reached out and they had some RFP process and I didn't really respond. I was like, you know, we, we're, we're busy. You know, we've, we've got all this work to do. I think at the time it was, you know, um, a lot of racial tension. Uh, there was a lot of organizing to push back anti-affirmative action mm -hmm. initiatives. There was, I mean, there was always something that we were organizing around. And I remember thinking, you know, working with a theater was maybe a point of departure. But, you know, I did respond because they reached out again. And, and it turns out that I started working with the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And the question was, can the community organizing um, practices and principles that you know, we use to do community building and community um, organizing around social justice issues and racial justice issues and community, can those strategies work inside of an arts organization? Mm -hmm. And um, haven't looked back since. That's you beautiful. Know? I love that. Yeah. It, and it it seems like it fits you so well because just just by looking at, I just recently watched uh, a couple of, of the episodes of Talking Back, which is so riveting. Oh. <laughs> it's so riveting. Um, and just, just by looking at you, you look like an artistic soul, honestly, you really do. <laughs> you look like I, you have you an know, artistic soul. I think I have, I've truly found my people. No, really. Now, <laughs> it, Ashley, in all seriousness, I cannot imagine not working in the arts because here's the thing. Um, you know, you can litigate, uh, you can do direct action, you can do advocacy, all those things are needed, but there's something about the arts capturing the heart the hearts and minds of people, it changes culture like nothing else can. So I have found my community. I'm not looking back. I, the, the difference of working with the arts versus working, you know, in a civil rights mm -hmm. activist sense is one way of working is leading, you know, running into the headwinds. And the other way of working is having the wind at your back. And that's how I feel with the arts. Folks, the momentum and creative creativity pushes you forward you know yeah yeah you all are great <laughs> well you know when you were talking about the the person that was uh that lived in flint and then moved out to the oregon shakespeare festival is that the current uh artistic director now 
No, oh, okay. no, actually, Nat Nat uh, Nataki Garrett, the current artistic director, she, and she is the first Black artistic director in the history of that um, large regional theater, mm -hmm. which is, I think, over 85 years old. First Black woman. Um, first Black person, period. Uh, no, it was not Nataki. Okay. It was um, uh, an artist. Um, she was an actor. And um, she, unfortunately, as my understanding, has since left um, the field of um, theater. Oh, okay. Okay. I can throw, can I give her a shout Absolutely. out? Kamiko, if you're listening, uh, Kamiko, um, I remember, you know, from 2008, your advocacy and seeing the connection between community organizing and doing this work in the arts. It was Kamiko's um, uh, recommendation that actually pulled me into uh, working with OSF, which has pulled me into working with the uh, arts in a broader sense. Well, now, speaking of pulling you into the arts, because I feel like this is like a a, a Godfather reference. They, <laughs> you know, they, once I, they pulled me back in, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just when you try to get out, they pulled you know, they me pull back, back in. in. Yes. But um, I would love for you to talk to us about your organization, Art Equity, a little bit, if that's all right with you. Because I, I, sure. I, there's just so much that this organization does, and I'm in such awe of the entire organization. I really am. And not just the things that you all do, but just who the faces are. That is remarkable. You don't see organizations like yours at all. And that's the sad part. Mm, you know, how lovely, how lovely of you to say. And I, I do feel that, um, I don't know that we're that unique in terms of our principles, because actually, you know, these principles come out of, um, well, uh, I feel like I am the beneficiary and the child of the, you know, the first generation after the civil rights movement. Mm. So it comes out of this kind of um, ethos, right? And I think it, you know, which is why on our website, you see people marching, because I feel like we've always been marching and we've always had to assert our claim for justice. Uh, so it comes out of, so the principles aren't new. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think about um, the work of the Highlander Center, when I think about the People's Institute, um, I think about alternate roots, uh, folks who are, doing activism and also recognizing the role for the arts. Um, but there's, so, so that's the linkage. That's, that's our, um, I think that we, we, we'd like to say that we sit at the intersection of art and activism because we see art as a tool for social change. We see artists as a galvanizing force. Um, we see artists as some of the folks who are most strategically poised to make change because they're creative um, there's a way that they lead from what is possible as opposed to what isn't possible. Um, they're joyful and the work has to call people in always to be their best selves. So that's some of our ethos, right? And, that, and that's not necessarily new. Um, but the work then is to provide folks with tools, resources, and skills for them to do it, you know, for them to do that work. I see us as a... Um, an activist building factory, mm -hmm. you know, uh, with a whole bunch of different um, points of entry. So we've got something for folks who are trying to survive these predominantly white institutions, you know, particularly um, people of color, black folks, BIPOC folks. 
Uh, we have folks, you know, who are inside of these white institutions and they don't want them to be white anymore. And they really need tools and resources to figure out how actually can we be more inclusive? Uh, we have resources for folks who are trustees. And how do you bring anti-racist principles to your governance role and responsibility on a board? Mm -hmm. That is a conversation, you know, that we've been having. Um, and you did talk about the Talking Back series. You know, we wanted to be in conversation with folks that were doing things, document those conversations. This is an aside, Ashley. <laughs> Um, and and by, the, by the way, Ashley, you and I are going to have to have a conversation after this interview, okay? okay? Because <laughs> I have so many stories that I'm just putting to the side, I got to tell you. Yes, please. Uh, but this this Talking Back series, you know, I'm, so, I, I'm just glad we caught some of it on tape because the real situation was what we could not film. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Bringing folks together who were trying to affect change from wherever they are and seeing them and affirming them and letting them tell their stories and being in conversation. I mean, we had campfires, we were eating together, we were breaking bread, and then we would stop and do these interviews. So that's <laughs> what talking back is. Mm -hmm. And then um, let me just also do a shout out for uh, the women of color in leadership uh, work that we do. For, for a long time, I have seen inside of these predominantly white institutions, the folks holding them up and holding them accountable have been oftentimes black women. And this is not gonna surprise you, um, Ashley, it's not gonna surprise you at all, but oftentimes black women, and if not black women, then Latinx folks, Latin, Latine folks, um, uh, Asian folks, but women on the inside of these organizations holding them to account. So I wanted to bring them together. And so we have an annual gathering of women of color in leadership where we come together and just say, we see you, mm -hmm. you know, even if sometimes that labor is not acknowledged, but that's some of the work that we're doing. It's some out of all of the work. I mean, I, I could just go on and on about how marvelous art equity is. Uh, and as much as my, as much as my heart sometimes wants to do everything, my pocketbook doesn't let me, but you know, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But that is something yeah. that I will definitely invest in myself because I really would love to um, take the facilitator course that Art Equity has. Yes, and listen, let me also say that to you that um, we prioritize uh, resources to Black and um, people of color uh, and Latinx folks, um, the global majority. We prioritize resources um, for those folks. So there's always, it's not gonna be cost prohibitive. You know, the BIPOC series, the BIPOC Surviving Predominantly White Institution series, we wanted to make sure that that was free. Mm -hmm. um, we just launched a BIPOC leadership circle for folks who are in leadership positions and who are not white and how our leadership challenges are very different. That, you know, we didn't charge. And for the National Facilitator Training, we have a hefty amount of scholarships that we give precisely because we don't want it to be cost prohibitive, particularly for black folks. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's really yeah. wonderful. Well, I'm glad you told me that. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Now, I was watching the uh, the 2018 Intersection Summit at Milwaukee Repertory. Uh, I found the yeah. recording of it on YouTube and it was really fascinating how, um, 
how you were able to get the entire audience to engage with each other, to ask questions, to actually answer each other's questions. It was really great watching it. And um, one of the things that really stuck out the most to me was when you were talking about community engagement versus community justice and the politics Ashley, of difference. you have been doing some serious research. <laughs> I forgot about, listen, when you mentioned that, no offense, but I was like, what intersections conference? <laughs> No, no. I remember. I remember Milwaukee. Listen, that was a powerful conversation mm -hmm. because um, I, you, well, I think I said it. Um, when I hear people say community engagement, I just, I'm not sure what you're talking about mm -hmm. because um, community, many community engagement practices uh, are, uh, you know, they can, they can be exploitative. Yep. And quite frankly, they have been. So that was my question. It's like, you all are doing community engagement on whose behalf, who are you hoping to serve? Is it this institution, this predominantly white institution that, you know, wants to go into these communities, um, do some little cultural anthropology um, experiment, or do you want to really build relationships? Right. Um, so I, I just was uh, suggesting to them that maybe it's not so much about community engagement, it's more about community justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was that was definitely the thing that that stuck out so much to me because with theaters here in Michigan, you have some that are genuinely trying to do the work of anti-racism, trying to actually um, create what they believe is community engagement when really they really need to go after community justice and make yeah. sure that their theaters are safe for BIPOC Absolutely. actors and, and their, uh, their staff and volunteers. Without a doubt. Absolutely. And you know what else it looks like? It looks like, because, um, you know, for me, uh, I want to go back to that image that you brought up about, um, you know, just when you're trying to get out, they pull you back in. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, the kind of the, the mafia mentality. Um, for some of these institutions, they do act like the mob. Mm -hmm. They act like it's theirs, yep. you know, Absolutely. like they're running this thing mm -hmm. and it belongs to them. And it's like a little cabal and they are in the public trust. So community justice looks like it's not just your cultural arts institution. You're actually connected to the whole community and not just connected to the whole community because you want them in your seats, but you're, connect you're connected to the whole community because you want them to thrive and you're concerned about the things that they're concerned about. Absolutely. So when they're grieving, you're attuned to that. You know, you're not doing a play about Hello Dolly. You're doing a play that is going to affirm the black experience, yep. uh, possibly, you know? So yeah, that's what it looks like. And it also looks like sometimes these buildings have to open themselves up for other stuff yeah. and not just a play. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. That was something that, that my friend Dan and I discussed thoroughly in our workshop is that you cannot be afraid of losing the white dollar when they don't want to see inclusion. Exactly. If you want to see inclusion in your theater, then good riddance to that money. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And here's the thing, you know, they are so anxious and afraid of letting go of that racist donor's check that they are cutting themselves off 
from folks who are values aligned with justice, I would be writing check. There are people who you will gain when you lead with those values. Yep. Yep. You'll gain more donors um, when you let go those donors who are holding on to those racist practices. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. There was a situation that uh, we see you white American theater where they post something on their, I believe their Instagram. And yeah, uh, it was this woman who wrote into We See You White American Theater and was just, you know, just making all these assumptions and throwing the victimizing card out. And yeah, a theater that she regularly donates to where she actually <laughs> promised their estate when she passed. Yes. This. They said, you know yes. what? We're good. We don't need your estate. You can keep it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because with that kind of racist rhetoric, um, here, take your money back. They sure did. Mm -hmm. They sure did. I appreciated that. Yep. That's what we're talking about. It was just about. so interesting that this theater was able to pick up on who this was just from yes. <laughs> the Instagram post. Um, but just, yes, just, absolutely. just to kind of follow up with a question in regards to the community engagement versus justice. How should this type of information be introduced to a predominantly white theater where the leadership is strongly reluctant, but people who work or volunteer there want to start this kind of, kind of conversation? Yeah, I, you know, I would say by any means necessary. Uh, actually, I do have a, a, a theory on it because I think, um, you know, and this may not be the best approach, but I have to tell you it's my approach because this is a moment of accountability. Mm -hmm. You cannot look around the U.S. and pretend like you don't, you know, that you cannot see something is going on. Not only are things changing on a demographic level, uh, the generation, the, millenn the millennials used to be the most uh, diverse generation in the history of the U.S. And now gen the generation after them, um, help me, Ashley. Gen Z. You're going you're gonna to have, thank you. <laughs> The Gen Z, they are the most diverse generation and it's yep. just continuing. So look around at this moment of accountability mm -hmm. and then see the demographic shifts that are coming and you still want to be intractable in your racism, then become obsolete. Exactly. So the way I think about it is work with the enthusiasts, work with the enthusiasts. Let, you know, and I'm quoting Sina Hodges, who um, in that Talking Back episode, uh, who talked about BIPOC fatigue, she said, where there's one, you know, you might have to be cautious, but where there's two of you, then two of you work together. Mm -hmm. um, and then where there's three of you, three of you work together. Work with the enthusiasts and and do not work alone. Yeah. Um, that's the, the one guidance I can give to folks. If you're inside of an organization right now and you're looking around and you're seeing that they're not making the moves that they should, if you're the only one, rest, rest, because it, it, you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. And they're already going to want to try to use your capital as a person of color. Um, they will want you to be their alibi. They're going to want you to be their educator. Rest. Yep. You know, you're not going to be able to, don't become the casualty. So what I would say is um, build a base of support and let that, don't do it by yourself. Let that base of support, whether it's volunteers uh, whether it's a few volunteers and some even entry-level staffs, you all have a conversation amongst yourselves to be really clear about what it is you're seeing um, and to be really clear that you all have each other's support um, and build a base of support and start asking for the things that you want to have changed. Like some of what you're seeing right now with these demand letters that are getting some 
uh, resonance, you know, in the field. That's what I would suggest. And then also all along the way, you know, Ashley, assess, is it worth it? Because you're a rich, um, vital, um, and I'm speaking to all the folks of color out there inside of these predominantly white institutions, what you have to give them is so valuable. Decide if they deserve it. Mm -hmm. You know, not every organization will deserve it. And once you decide that they deserve it, great. Then proceed cautiously, um, continue to assess, do not isolate, work with a base of support, uh, create affinity spaces. If you don't have enough people of color within that organization, work across organizations, pull friends together from other organizations and be solid in who you know you are, right? So, so that's happening. And once you find out that they don't deserve you, divest, divest emotionally, rest. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't want people of color to be foolish, you know, like quit your job right away, um, but begin to make your plans. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that begin to make your plans. That resonates a lot with me <laughs> because um, my my uh, theater start, the background of my theater started in community theater. And I've said this on my show before that that's about that is where I experienced the most racism. And it's mm-hmm. it's really hard because you have these people who you've performed with, where you've had drinks with and chit chat and kikied with and everything. And when you actually trail away from it, like I have, I've trailed away from these group of groups of people. And I started taking the initiative of talking and actually asserting anti-racism policies for Michigan theaters, and they don't want to engage. And that's really hard because- You know, and, I, and I'm not trying to play, you know, be sad for me or anything, but it's really hard to know that people who I assumed were my friends, maybe not best friends, right. but at least yeah. friendly colleagues don't want to have anything to do with it. Right, right. No, you know, uh, yeah. that's unfortunately a really common pattern. Yeah. That's unfortunately a really common pattern. Uh, everything is fine until you raise the specter of race and racism and the fact that it's got to be disrupted. Mm -hmm. And then folks want to look at you like you're the problem. No, you know, racism is the problem. The, the interesting thing about that is um, I had someone reach out to me to write something on behalf of that theater that I've done work for. They asked me to write something on behalf of the theater during, during the time of George Floyd's murder Um, something about Black Lives Matter. But for one, I hadn't worked at that theater in almost two years. And that theater was known, known for doing egregiously racist things such as blackface and brownface. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I, I, I told, I told them no, of course, because that's not for me. That is for the board president to handle, not me. Right. Not me. Yeah, I'm so glad. No, they want you to, you know, be an alibi for them in this moment. Yep. Absolutely not. I'm so glad you didn't let them and you know, do that. No, and you know, it was something that you said, and I started quoting it in all of the workshops that I did. <laughs> oh, good. Where I said, <laughs> do not use our work as your alibi. Exactly. Yes. At all. And then from mm-hmm. that, I was just like, 
boom, my mind exploded because it's like, because that's what some of these people will do. Absolutely. You know, they'll, what they'll do is they'll say, well, you know, Ashley worked here and she didn't have a problem. Oh my goodness. Yep. yep. You know, exactly. Uh, you're not, you haven't been there for two years and already they're reaching out. Can you write this letter? So you can imagine what they do on a regular day. Right. Well, you know, Ashley used to work. Here. Right. And, and the funny part about that was I was the afterthought. They, exactly. they were going you to know? ask someone else. And then I, then I was the afterthought. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, Ashley, I'm so glad though, that you named that because a lot of folks out there and a lot of folks might be listening and a lot of folks might not you know, bring the, bring the analysis to the, to the situation that you did. And they might say, oh, wow, I feel so honored. I feel so honored that this white theater reached out to me, um, even though they don't have a real deep relationship with me or my community to write this statement. And they would feel honored because it's this white, you know, this white institution, mm-hmm. as opposed to realizing um, that that's, that we have significant cultural capital yep. and that we've got to guard against it being exploited. Yep. People will listen to your voice, Ashley. They'll say, I know this black woman has integrity. So if she is in alignment with this institution, you're basically extending your brand and your integrity to that institution. Absolutely not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So let me just talk about Art Equities. video talking back series. We talked about it already, but I wanted to really ask this question to you. Why did you find that it was so important to have these theater leaders coming together to discuss various topics regarding BIPOC leadership in predominantly white theaters and BIPOC theater leaders and et cetera? Oh, great question. Oh my gosh. Um, I, yes, I'm, I'm happy to, sh- to tell you uh, really what the impetus was is, you know, and I think we talk about it in um, the first and second episode. In episode one, we're dealing with just, you know, theaters of color, the leaders of theaters of color, some of the oldest theaters of color in the nation. We want to talk to them first um, because so many predominantly white theaters in the last, you know, 10 years, um, even more increasingly in the last five years, have decided, a lot of them have decided, you know, hey, maybe we need to be more responsive to, you know, communities of color. And they've taken on these equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. And in some instances, you know, they've gotten pretty large grants, pretty significant grants, and they um, are launching national initiatives in this. They're doing conferences all around equity, diversity, and and inclusion. Meanwhile, the theaters of color who've been holding it down for decades, in some instances, you know, over 50 years, Mm -hmm. um, speaking to communities of color, creating art for their communities, allowing their communities to see themselves on stage. They've been doing it for all this time. uh, And now these predominantly white theaters have said, you know, look at us, you know, we're we're really doing it. And I felt like, um, like so many of us, who watch history being rewritten right right in front of our eyes, I thought, oh no, we need to get some of this. And it wasn't just me, it was some other folks too having these conversations. We need to actually document some of this and really get folks to go on the record and really pay homage to uh, the leaders 
of equity, diversity, and inclusion work. And they didn't even call it that. It was just them doing the com- work, co- you know, connecting. Exactly. Right. <laughs> doing the work. The leaders of that work are many of our theaters of color. Let's acknowledge that. And that these predominantly white institutions, they have a debt. They've got a debt that they've got to repay. So that was the impetus. And then I do have to credit Sharifa Joka, who produced it. She turned it into part spa, part family reunion, part cookout, part. I mean, it was an experience beyond what we were filming. And that's how we do it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was community. It was laughter. It was love. It was folks who hadn't seen each other for a while. And, um, we just wanted them to know that we we respect their work, all the heavy lifting that they've been doing for these so many years. So that was it. We wanted to document really what's going on in the field because the field of theater is changing rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was before we see a white American theater. Yeah. But I think that theaters of color laid the groundwork for a white a we see white American theater to actually even exist. Yep, absolutely. And I think the one of the... Um, the artistic directors, uh, his last name is Ting. What's his first name? Yeah, Eric yes, Ting. Eric yes, Eric Ting. Uh, yes. The stats that he gave in regards to his theater during his four-year le- four leadership was astounding. Absolutely yeah. astounding. Over half of the staff and actors and everything else are people of color within his four yeah. years. And from before that, it was like, what, 30-something percent? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. amazing. It's so it says it's doable. You yeah, know? it is doable, and it took an, an an artistic director of color to come and realize that it was a priority. They're in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. you know. They're not that far from Oakland. They have access to this community that seems so elusive, you know, to these white institutions. And Hana Sharif in that same in in that um, in episode two talks about how she actually integrated the theater that she's, I mean, literally the only person of color on staff in the leadership team. Mm-hmm. So can you imagine integrating the, the, the theater that you are now the lead, the leader of? Wow. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that these folks are traversing, Yeah, you know? Absolutely. So, it, it, and I, I still have a couple more episodes to finish up, but that entire series for anybody that's listening, I highly, 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 highly recommend watching the Art Equity Talking Back series. It's amazing. And it, it Ashley, really opens the eye. Yes, ma'am. I got to ask mm-hmm. you, did you see the episode yet called BIPOC Fatigue? I have not yet. See, I'm okay. at, I'm, I'm right yeah. at episode two. So, because okay. I, well, I was trying to binge this time. all last night. <laughs> Take your time because can I just tell mm-hmm. you? Um, and yes, definitely. I think it, I personally like it going in order, but wait till you hear the women on fire because they're all women of color. Yeah, and, and no, actually, there's one. There's one man of color talking about BIPOC fatigue. Mm. You you're going to feel such affinity with that discussion. I'm sure because <laughs> those folks are naming the things that you're naming. Yep. You know, yep. it's going to be powerful. It's just so, you'll, you'll it's so bananas to me that while, you know, each experience is different, it's virtually the same thing. You know, like we're, yeah. we're all experiencing yeah. the same thing. It's coming up in different instances or, or what have you, but it's all the same thing. It has the same main yeah. topics, you know? Well, you know, 
I say uh, part of the reason for that is that uh, racism and white supremacy is not that particularly creative. So it just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again to different communities, to different... It's, it is. It's the same systemic structural roots that is really trying to de- uh, dehumanize a lot of us. Yep. So let me ask you this, because this is this is pretty this is a poignant question in regards to what's actually going on in the Michigan theater. Um, I'm not going to name names or anything, but okay. how should a predominantly white theater that has very publicly performed nefarious racist shows or privately egregiously disrespected actors and staff members of marginalized groups account for their prior actions and work towards being an anti-racist establishment. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a big chunk there. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I, I'm assuming that they have stopped and they've acknowledged their wrongdoing. Not publicly. Because that's okay. Well then that's, that's, that's part of the problem right Mm -hmm. there. Um, the acknowledgement is going to have to be public. Mm-hmm. They can't do public harm and then make private apologies. Right. So um, for their own good, um, for their own good, they're going to need to say, and there's lots of different ways they can say it. I've seen a lot of different theaters take this on. Um, they just uh, pronounce it on their websites. They issue, they issue press releases. Um, in some instances, uh, they've had town halls, they've had forums where they've said, we did not handle this right. We did not handle this right. So I don't think they're going to get um, a lot of respect. Um, and I certainly don't think they're going to get very much healing or and maybe they're not even interested in healing, but I don't think they're going to get very much respect so that they can move forward with, you know, rebuilding um, trust if they don't acknowledge it publicly mm-hmm. um, and with some level of specificity you know we did harm we injured members in our community uh, so that would be one thing and then you know secondly they're probably going to have to the folks who did the most harm they're going to have to um, hold them accountable mm-hmm. and I don't know what that looks like but in a lot of places you know in um, Ashley we only need to do a google search on this for the past you know two three four or five years people have had to leave they've been let go artistic director after artistic director has had to move aside. They've had to, it's, it's not healthy. It's not good for the organization. In fact, they become a liability because um, I don't know if you're familiar with the ACT lawsuit, but the um, racial discrimination lawsuit that was filed against ACT lists all of the things that go into creating a hostile work environment. Um, And they, you know, luckily they settled that case, but that case is powerful mm-hmm. in just reading um, all of the grounds that um, uh, I believe the, the the plaintiff's name, I keep forgetting his name because it was so courageous of him to file that lawsuit. But I keep referring to that lawsuit because just insert any, any one of these theaters, you know, insert name of current predominantly white theater that is acting out and that lawsuit could be about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would just say that they've got to publicly apologize and then they're going to have to be held accountable so that the acts won't happen again, so that they have a fighting chance of some sort of, you know, healing to take place. And um, the, 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 the folks who have been injured, um, and if it's a broad community or if it's a few individuals, 
they've got to be, I think that they, they've got to be a part of the conversation and they've got to be listened to and they've got to be honored. Um, the perpetrator doesn't get to decide what accountability looks like. It's the folks who've been injured that get to decide what accountability looks like. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I wish them well, but they're not, those are just, and those are just the basics, you know, right. the hard work comes after that. So I have a question that my friend Kelly, who who has also been coming to your uh, workshops, she has a question for you. And hi, Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) And just like me, she has created um, made Michigan actors for diversity and equity. And wonderful. Her question for you is how and where do you find the strength to do this work when it feels lonely and dangerous most of the time? Oh my gosh, Kelly. Oh, I, I'm just sending you a virtual hug, a virtual, oh, I have so much love for you. And I I just, I really, Ashley, that's a beautiful question. Um, I will tell you, I do not believe we can do this work by ourselves successfully. I, the, the first thing that I would say, uh, and I feel like that's why the Um, BIPOC and PWI community is so important and powerful is find your people, you know, find your people. If you look around and you are isolated and you are in it, because it's very easy to do, you find yourself being isolated. You just realize, oh my gosh, I'm trudging up this hill by myself. Mm -hmm. Stop and find your people. That's the first thing. You've got to do it in community. In order to build community, you need community. In order to, you know, beat back systemic racism. You can't do it alone. You've got to have your community with you Uh, because that's what makes it sustainable. Right. You know, there's something bittersweet about this because I wouldn't be doing anything else in this world, but to be working on the most um, important, I think, pressing issue of our time, which is still after all these many years, over 400 years, we are talking about who gets to be fully human that's the conversation I want to be a part of. Right. And I think that we all should, but do it in ways that is sustainable. And the first and foremost is don't do it alone. Um, secondly, I feel, you know, and this is, we try to do this in our practice. And I think that that's, you might feel some of that in some of the trainings that we do is um, it's, um, it's okay to bring joy to it. Yeah. I think that the work needs to be joyful. And I feel that from you. You know, I feel your enthusiasm. I feel the joy that you have for the work that you're doing. People, it's it's contagious. Mm-hmm. And that is um, uh, leaning in with that kind of optimism and joy. And I don't mean fake it. I mean, being in community with, with each other and knowing that we got this, uh, especially as Black folks, yeah. especially as Black women. Have we not always had to do this work in the most difficult of circumstances? And have we not always held hands, sang those songs, done whatever we need to do to keep ourselves and our families buoyed? I think that's part of it too. Um, and, and then the last thing I would say for, for myself, I'll speak only for myself, I have to hold on to something bigger than myself. I am a part of a faith community Um, I believe in the sacred, I believe in the divine, and I believe that our work is in alignment with that. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that I do to try to stay replenished, 
to try to stay hopeful, to make sure that we don't burn out. And also, you know, I look at the progress. I feel all the work that we still have to do, but I look at what we have been able to do um, two generations after chattel slavery, mm-hmm. what we have been able to do. Yeah. And you say yeah. that you that, that you don't practice any type of art. That sounded poetic to me, honestly. <laughs> that- oh, you are good. You are good. <laughs> now, oh my now tell me this. What is your greatest accomplishment in your career so far? Oh, my goodness. Um, what a powerful question. I, I, you know, it's funny because I don't think I've, I, I've not really thought of it in those terms. Um, I would say this, I don't, I don't, if there is something great, you know, and you're going to look, you're making me tear up. Oh. Ashley, what a, um, I, that question really moves me because you've taken me to a place of um, my own mortality, you know, what, we're, we're, we all are here for such a short time. And I often say that I just want my life force to be used um, in the service of this work. You know, all paths lead towards justice. So if there is something that is great about some of the work that I've been doing, it is to build a community of folks who can see themselves and work together in the service of, you know, everyone being fully human. If there's if I've been able to contribute to something like that, I I feel like um, I'm good. You know, mm-hmm. that would be my highest honor. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I can tell you what your greatest accomplishment is so far. <laughs> it was the it was the workshop where um, I believe you were you were leading the conversation the majority of the time, and uh, your your fellow your fellow co. Um, your fellow, the facilitators. fellow facilitators. Yes. It was the workshop where we got the, the workbook, that beautiful, thorough uh, workbook that came with it. Oh, um, I think maybe you're talking about everyday justice. Yes. Possibly. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a beautiful workshop. And just seeing how many people were a part of it you know that you're doing something great when you're able to attract so many people who are ready to make that change and Mm -hmm. who are sticking through the entire session because they want to absorb as much information as possible. It was, it was amazing seeing it. So I, I will say for you that art equity is your greatest accomplishment. And that's just, that's just for me speaking (laughs) from my point of view. Um, yeah, but yes. to say. Yeah. <laughs> now, is there any? Oh, well, I mm-hmm. I have to give you a compliment back because <laughs> um, can I just say it's just powerful the way that you amplify Black women and your love for uh, the work of Black women. Oh my God, that is a vocation. That is a calling. You do it so well. Thank you. Uh, with such love and respect. Um, I, I just want to call call you out for that for that incredible work, and because um, I think that there are more and more folks saying that um, there's something about Black women holding holding up holding the space, mm-hmm. uh, tending to this com- these communities, um, and thank you for recognizing that. You're incredible. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. Gosh, you have no idea how much that means to me. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it it takes one to be able to know exactly. one, right? So you're doing incredible work. <laughs> and you're doing incredible work, you know, so we, we see each other. I see you, Carmen. Exactly. And exactly. I see we see each other. Exactly. <laughs> now, is there anything else that you'd like to add or anything that you would like to promote? You know... Um, I, I, I do want to say one little thing mm-hmm. here, um, and I don't want to take us to a, too much of a somber place, but I do want to just say that, um, a lot of us are calibrating right now around some significant injuries. And I just want us to take care of ourselves. I want us to uh, be gentle and tender and patient with ourselves and our hearts. I want us to sleep, get enough rest, drink enough water, stay hydrated. Um, because not only are we in the midst of this pandemic for over a year, but um, a lot of us are being triggered every day, you know, as we are recording this, uh, the trial that is um, hopefully going to hold the person who murdered George Floyd um, is happening right now as we speak. And it's uh, showing the video again, and it's bringing up so many wounds. I have so many friends in the Twin Cities, and they have, they're saying it's palpable. Uh, the anger is just right there. And then colleagues who are part of the Asian American community, um, a dear colleague of mine, my sister who does this work with me, was accosted in a grocery store as an Asian woman. Um, and she's a survivor. Her family were interned in concentration camps in World War II for being Japanese American, and now she's being accosted. So there's, um, you know, this trauma and these injuries. Uh, and we, you know, we have minors, little babies being detained at the border um, because they've come and they um, are unaccompanied. So community, beloved community, um, hold on to one another. Uh, this is a time where, you know, you can just feel it in the air. We're tender, we're, we're, we're hurting, and it's understandable. So yeah. I just, that's, that's what I wanna put a plug out there for all of us to take care of ourselves. Wonderful, thank you so much for that. Yes. So for those of you that are listening, uh, you can you can check out everything that Art Equity is doing uh, by visiting their website at artequity.org.org. And thank you, Carmen. This has been enlightening. I really enjoyed thank this. Thank you. Same here. Thank you, Ashley. You know, I'm good for a good another hour or two. I can. Uh, <laughs> we. I hope we can keep this going after we sign off. Yes. Let's you and I continue. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. You can find Black Queens on Stage podcast and Black Literature and Art Queens Network at blackqueensonstage.com and blaqn.org. Follow me on Instagram at blaqn show Michigan, on Facebook at blaq show Michigan, and on Twitter at blaqnmi. You can find all this info in the show notes. Please rate the show and leave a review on Apple Podcast or on Podbean to let me know what you think of the show. Thanks again. Until next time.